This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York. Here's the scenario. You've been injured in a serious accident. The doctor says your recovery could take months, maybe even years, yet your insurance company is denying your claim every step of the way. If something like this happens to you, call me, Brian Goldfinger of Goldfinger Personal Injury Law. We have offices in Toronto, London, Peterborough, and now Kitchener-Waterloo. Visit goldfingerlaw.com and get us working for you. lose yes in fact they have lost against the Atlanta Hawks 132 to 121 second night of a back-to-back against a team that can play quite fast is going to put a lot of pressure on your defense and especially the Raptors tonight playing a very help oriented style requiring a lot of effort not getting a ton of good stuff from Baines or Terrence Davis in this one puts a lot of pressure on the Raptors' main pieces to play a lot of minutes, Chris Boucher in particular, some sort of saying where you run out of gas for the proverbial vehicle. The Raptors, they made their bed in this one where too many defensive letdowns throughout the game. The offense could have been better down the stretch. I think that's that's fair to say. But the defense in this one, they pressured the ball out of Trey Young's hands for a lot of the game. And the Hawks, their tertiary guys made shots. They made plays. The Raptors on the back end of possessions a little bit slow at times. And they give up 132 points. The Nets score 117 on the first night of a back-to-back where the Raptors have a two-day break. And the Hawks, they score 132 on the second night. I think that that's worth pointing out is that the Raptors clearly a little bit tired after what they've dealt with going from Brooklyn to Atlanta. And that's that's not to make excuses. I just think that's a valid point to make. And that doesn't mean that this loss doesn't count or anything like that. It counts all the same. The, uh, the schedule can be cruel to any team at any point in time. And the Raptors, you know, 10 and 13 on the season now. This is the Raptors Reaction Podcast. I'm Ro Samson Folk. And Trey Young, after the game, talked about how often the Raptors switch defenses and sometimes all in one possession right and this isn't Trey Young anymore this is me speaking but the Raptors will go in and out of zone two or three times in the same possession they might even go from a box in one to a two and three then they could do a matchup zone then they could just flow into man man to man it's uh they do a lot and so Trey Young he was talking about after the game how he takes 
the first half to try and feel out what the other team is trying to do. And the Raptors, from the jump, they wanted to get the ball out of Trey's hands above the break. And I think that's actually a really, really good scheme because Trey, as we know, shoots a ton of free throws. The Hawks typically, I think they're second in free throw rate in the league this year. So they they put a lot of pressure on teams. They get fouled a lot and they go to the line a lot. Trey had 14 free throw attempts in this one. A little bit of that is bloat from technical fouls. Uh, Terrence Davis fouled him on a three-point attempt. And, you know, bonus as well. But the Raptors, I think it's fair to say the scheme was pretty good off the start because it kept Trey from going downhill. Although it was a little bit confusing because the pick and rolls with John Collins, who is, you know, a very, very good three-point shooter and very dangerous going downhill, can pass a little bit too. They would send two guys to the ball. Obviously, Trey would find him for a three, and he hit a couple, and they would drop when Clint Capello was there. And I thought, you want to pressure Trey to get the ball out of his hands, especially, and get the ball to Clint Capella because he is not a great release valve in the middle of the floor. I thought that was a little bit confusing, and the, the Hawks had decent counters to that. You know, John Collins slipping into space quite a few times. Most of the uh, the points that were scored early on, I felt, and it seemed like, were caused by John Collins' playmaking after the Raptors got the ball out of Trey Young's hands. Now, that didn't hold up the whole game. Trey Young and the Hawks did a better job as the game went on at finding the open man, and the shot making did come. And, well, 132 points, it really, really came. And the Raptors on the other end, I think, definitely going to the pick and roll via Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry for their early offense, trying to put Trey Young in as many screening opportunities as they can because he is noted, it is noted league-wide that he's a very bad defender. He actually had a couple nice stints in this game that took me by surprise somewhat. Uh, Media narratives are always lagging behind, I would say. So maybe Trey has turned the corner just a fraction of a bit. So who, who knows, right? But he had a couple nice stints, but that didn't stop the Raptors from seeing him as food on the defensive end, targeting him early, 34 points in the first quarter. I thought it was really good. Fred and Kyle getting the defense in rotation. Norm, in particular, doing quite a good job of attacking the weak side, getting to the bucket, hitting from downtown. And Chris Boucher coming in towards the tail end of the first quarter to provide a little bit of an offensive punch. I think he hit his career high in this game. He was fantastic the whole game. I think he played 33 minutes. It's tough for him because Bain starts, and that puts, and especially the second half, right, that puts Boucher in a position, if he's really playing a lot, that he could go what seems like 17, 16 minutes in a row if he's going to close the game. That's what happened in this one. And asking a guy to sustain Boucher's level of effort for that extended stretch is quite a large ask. And so the Raptors still not having that starting center situation figured out does give them some problems down the stretch. And obviously, Bain's minutes in this one, I thought, were a disaster. An absolute disaster, I should say. He couldn't keep up with Capella at all. He couldn't get his hands. Mind you, he got his hands on quite a few things, but he didn't end up squeezing the orange at all. And I mean, he was really bad. His uh, He could not find the middle ground to defend Capella on the lob or Trey Young get, coming downhill. When he was showing high, 
You left a lot of angles open on the back end. So it left a lot to be desired to me. I didn't like his play. It was a pretty disappointing performance from Baines in particular. And the Raptors, they they sorely need good minutes from him. If he's going to play 15 and 13 of them, you're just seeing losing play after losing play. That's a big disappointment. And the Hawks clearly knew that he was food and put him in a bunch of actions. So the Raptors, they win the first quarter and a pretty good quarter for them because they forced the Hawks into shots that they weren't really wanting to take at that point in the game. That did change, as I said, at the top of the podcast. But they lost the following three quarters. And that's really disappointing to see from your team, right? Because that means that they've been figured out to some degree. And I think that is a fair thing to say about the Raptors tonight. As I said at the top, Trey Young alluding to feeling out the Raptors, talking about how many types of defense they play and show on a given possession in a quarter, in a stint. They they got comfortable. Kevin Herter, those tertiary secondary playmakers, they got comfortable finding the space against the Raptors defense as well. They had 38, 35, and 31 in the second, third, and fourth quarters. They were comfortable. They knew how to make their decisions against Raptors defense in rotation. Capella, I thought, was you know dangerous on the roll. He found the pacing. Trey Young got comfortable when they were blitzing, when they were throwing doubles, and just the ball was being zipped around. The Raptors were left in, in tough positions, and the Hawks, they hit quite a few three-point shots. So the Raptors, they're a little bit behind the ball in this one because they couldn't keep up with the ball. It's the second night of a back-to-back. You're tired. You got to chase these Hawks around the floor all the time. And your scheme is asking you to overload on Trey Young. So by proxy of that scheme, you are going to be in chase mode for a large percentage of the game. The chase came up short uh, in most cases. And that's, that's where 132 points comes from, basically. We saw the Raptors try and get a little bit, I don't know, frisky with bench units, uh, DeAndre Bembry. Yuta Watanabe, they, they both had a little bit of time in the second quarter there. Bembry in the second half as well. Yuta not really getting those minutes afterwards. Stan coming in and taking most of them. Obviously, Stan had a better game than Yuta in this one. He had two triples, as did Bembry, I believe. And Yuta, I thought he had two really exceptional closeouts on Solomon Hill. But both of the possessions ended up with a score. The one I think Solomon hit a really high floater over to Utah after he stonewalled him twice. I think it was two possessions later. He ended up relocating for a three after Utah had switched off of him, but great closeouts, stonewalling him. And, you know, you don't always win the possessions where you play good defense. Sometimes shot making just completely unravels you. And that's the shame, right? Is the Hawks, they are brimming with talent and maybe not with Solomon Hill and no shade to Solomon Hill, but guys like Cam Reddish, Kevin Herter, John Collins, you know, Onyeka Kongu under the rim and just rising up for a slam dunk. Clint Capella being such a lob threat that you can just throw anything near the rim. His hands are a magnet to some degree that the Raptors were getting beat on some possessions where they're playing good defense. And then Trey Young, of course, those snatch back pull up threes that he has. He put Bembry on ice the one time, Stan on ice the other time, and then just unloads. There's not much you can do. And the Raptors, while playing a good principled scheme, are still getting beat. And that's that's tough, right? The Hawks, they overtake the lead. The Raptors run what I thought was a really fun staggered screen set. 
both Van Vliet and Lowry setting screens for Siakam. They saw Trey Young was the bottom guy, so Siakam targeted him. He had a nice little fadeaway to end the second half, and so it's 66-63, and the Raptors obviously lost the lead. The Hawks, to some degree, had figured out the Raptors' defense, and the Raptors had to start making the climb. It was tough in this game because not everybody had it all at once, and Fred had a lot of the ball. And I don't really blame Fred for that. I've I've stopped doing that to some degree because, you know, at some point you have to wonder, is there a hierarchy out there? Is Fred at the top of the hierarchy? And are the rest of the players just subject to what Fred wants to do offensively? I doubt that. I doubt that very much. And so Pascal obviously needs to be more proactive in calling for the ball or calling for set plays for him, making sure they run actions that get him an advantage or a mismatch, anything of the sort, because I thought he had a decent game, especially in the stretches where he was involved, or Nick Nurse isn't doing enough for Pascal. They need to focus on telling Pascal to assert himself more in the open run of the game where things are more fluid, or if they have certain scripts for certain parts of the game, like we're going to run these three plays in succession because they kind of play off each other, make sure that it features Siakam. Screening, rolling, ball in hand, maybe some second side action, whatever it might be, that's something they probably need to focus on and something that showed up in the fourth quarter. But I don't think I'm blaming Freddie for that. I think it's a team thing, that the and maybe it's a Pascal thing, but I'm definitely not at liberty to say. Anybody who has an interview with these guys, if they're going to be personal, I think that's a great question to ask. And I don't know if anybody would ever say this while playing under a coach because, you know, it could it could be controversial. But I would be so interested to hear somebody ask and or somebody to be asked and have them answer what percentage of the plays are fluid. How often are they running a full set actions, not just a little pin down on the weak side or something like that? How often... Is it something that the coach says, we're running this, and they run it? And how often is that ignored because the player seems sees something advantageous? I would just love to hear what that is in the Raptors' offense because sometimes the way possessions are doled out is confusing. Now, the third quarter is basically the Boucher quarter to me. The same way against the Nets, the third quarter was Pascal's quarter, and he was just doing heavy lifting in these post-isolations. It's... uh. Chris Boucher, I've said it many times, but his ability to get his hands on the ball and corral it to himself or to a teammate is a little bit jaw-dropping. He had seven offensive rebounds in this one. He was dangerous on the drive. He had a couple threes. His ability to produce is sometimes jaw-dropping, man. And length equals disruption, right? If you are long by proxy of your length, you're going to disrupt some plays for sure. Can you channel that disruption into positive things flowing into your team's action? Can you bat the ball to yourself, collect, and make the layup? Can you swat the ball to a teammate defensively? Or are these things just going out of bounds? Is it a dead ball and the team, if the Hawks, for example, just taking the ball out, trying again? That's valuable. But if you can translate it intelligently and fluidly with your body, the kinetic intelligence, right? The ability to channel what your brain wants to do into these long limbs. Chris Boucher has been wildly underrated 
at doing that this year. And the bill, just being able to get to those offensive rebounds, the blocks, whether it be at the three-point line or at the rim, and to catch the passes that are being thrown to him. I just, wow, good for you, Chris. You've been a revelation this year. He was dangerous in the pick and roll. He had two huge dunks, dangerous on the glass. Even when he's getting the ball on the perimeter, he's still putting the ball down and getting it to the other side of the floor so they can run some action. He was just phenomenal in this one, and he kept the Raptors alive. And I I think that's fair to say. That's what this quarter was about. Not to mention the very ping-pongy style that was going on between both teams and the refs. Two techs were called, one on DeAndre Bembry, one on Rajon Rondo. The pace of the game went from breakneck to really slow at times. There were a lot of free throws. It, it, it got jumbled up a little bit, and that has been somewhat of a trend these past few games is that the game slows down, and there's a lot of foul calls, and you know a lot of people would say the Raptors are on the wrong side of them. They're on the wrong side of some, to be sure. Uh, I think that's fair to say. And yeah, the, the third quarter, it it really did set the stage for the fourth quarter because it seemed like that there were two halves in this game or maybe one quarter and then three quarters stylistically, right? Is the Raptors would get close. They'd be inching closer through really, really tough basketball. Fred Van Vliet pushing in pseudo transition, creating opportunities for himself at the rim or for teammates leaking out to the corners just finding something, a mismatch down the floor. They take the ball back out. They attack the mismatch. Chris Boucher gets on the glass, forces a guy to hold him down. You get free throws, something like that. They push. They work really hard. But then Terrence Davis, for example, fouls Trey Young on a three-point shot, and that's the return. And Kevin Herter hits a you know a contested three-point shot, or John Collins slips to open space and hits a three. And it seemed like the Hawks just had a response for everything that the Raptors were doing. They go into the fourth quarter, 101 to 94, and I would say it follows suit, roughly. The Raptors trying their damnedest to get back into this game, and it just, they always had an answer. You know, it's something as simple as Danilo Gallinari faking a handoff and just deciding, you know what, let me crack off from above the break for three. And and does it, right? And so you see... You know, Capella had 23 and 16. Gallo had 14, four assists. Trey had 28 and 13. Herder had 19 and four. John Collins had 19, seven and four. And three blocks, mind you. And Capella had four blocks as well. The Raptors getting, you know, the stabs, the shots are coming from a bunch of different areas, right? And that's that's tough to contest with when the shot making is going to be at that level. Finishing 19 of 36 from downtown, and clearly because they played a certain style of defense. Loading up on Trey, the release valves released, and they did a good job of doing it. The Raptors, I, I didn't have a huge problem with their offense in this game. The effort level, I didn't even see anything too wrong with it either. Just mental lapses that rewarded the Hawks a few too many times. And the Raptors, you know, despite their best efforts, could not climb back into this game. And 132-121, you know, I think that's a little bit farther away. It, the game did seem closer than that. It's just the Hawks were exceptional at keeping the Raptors at arm's length, arm's reach, whatever the term is. I feel like I say that every single podcast. I have to sort out my terms, obviously. But the Raptors, despite 
you know, a very, very hardworking game from Van Vliet, who was getting the, the Hawks defense in rotation a ton, did not finish at the rim as well as anybody would like, probably him most of all, but finished with 25 points. Had a lot of foul calls to go his way. 10 of 11 from the line. I liked that a lot. But Lowry coming off of that game against Brooklyn where he was classic Kalo. You know, the nine points, three rebounds, five assists, four of 16 from the floor. He didn't have it tonight. And, you know, he's an elder statesman, if uh, that's a term. Once again, with the terms thing, he's not going to have it every night and perhaps definitely not on back-to-backs, right? Pascal maybe needed to be a bit more assertive or the Raptors are icing him out for whatever reason. I couldn't tell you. Stan had a nice game. Powell, Fred, Boucher in particular, though. I like those guys' performances. Everyone could do more, maybe save for Boucher, who <laughs> he left it out on the floor every inch of himself, I think. And uh, yeah, the Raptors, they come up short, 132 to 121. Reggie Evans Award uh, definitely goes to Chris Boucher. Seven offensive rebounds is kind of mind-numbing. 29 points, uh, an unbelievable 10 of 13 from the floor. 7 of 13 from the line is not great. You know, got to work on those free throws, mate. If uh, if you want to obviously be the best you can be, this is stupid commentary at this point. But yeah, Chris Boucher, 29 and 10, you know, a deterrent at the rim. There was a play at the end of the third quarter where they had Stan and I believe Bembry guarding a pick and roll action that Trey was in. He split them, went straight downhill at the rim, tried to get that floater off that he loves. And Boucher came out of nowhere, swatted it. I like Boucher. I really liked this game from him tonight. I thought he was awesome. And so the Reggie Evans Award goes to my guy, Chris Boucher, who, if I'm thinking correctly, probably has the lead in this because I can't imagine anybody else has more Reggie Evans Awards this year. Top quick reaction comment is from Moderate Observer. Quote, Nurse asked the reporters if they enjoyed watching the third quarter. I actually stopped watching the third. It was just terrible to watch and I lost interest in the outcome. Every touch is a foul and a short leash to give guys technicals. The NBA better get their uh, shit together with these officials because they look like they don't have a feel for the rhythm of the game. They look for every reason in the book to blow the whistle. End quote. Okay. They did a study on this. And this this is, you know, to your point about the feel for the rhythm of the game. They did a study spanning quite a few years where when the refs blow their whistle, they're correct 96% of the time. And that's an, it's exhaustive research to figure this out. But the, the caveat, right, is that there's a lot of fouls by the book in the NBA. You just have to let the players understand during the game what is a foul and what isn't. Sometimes that does get lost in a game. And sometimes refs are too inconsistent. And I think you'd hear a lot of players and coaches say, I don't care if it's tight or loose. Just let me know which. Let me understand the game I'm playing and I'll do my best to abide by the rules that we have for the night. I think that's probably fair to say. But when it changes from quarter to quarter, it does lend itself to herky-jerky bad basketball. So moderate observer, I agree with you to some degree. Although I... uh, Yeah, I'm usually not nihilistic about refs, but it has been a little bit janky these past couple games. Uh, Story time. I, my Wi-Fi went out 
like maybe 20 minutes prior to the game. So I had to watch this using somebody else's Wi-Fi. So I just camped out outside their place and uh, they have they have an unlocked Wi-Fi. So I just, you know, kind of moseyed on over, set up my little setup and stood out there. But then this lady starts screaming out of her window. And okay, so keep in mind, if you don't want to hear Spanish cursing, uh, just end the podcast right now. And thanks for listening. But she's swearing, cursing out the window and whistling. And so I'm looking and I turn around and I'm scared because I think she's cussing me out because of the internet. But she's not saying anything else, just curse words, basically. And I look over and she's just calling to, I think, her husband who's just hanging out by, at the pool by himself. And she ended up walking down and then cursing him out there. And they walked back up. But I was terrified. I thought I was getting cursed out for using their, their internet. Luckily, my internet uh, was working basically from the third quarter onwards. So I strolled back up to my spot and watched it in the comfort of my home. But it was uh, <laughs> very nerve-wracking because I thought she was just cursing me out dude so pissed like she was trying to watch something on her own wi-fi and i was using it and slowing it down a significant significant degree or something like that and i didn't know what to do i was like well i gotta cover this game so but she wasn't angry at me i'm sure everything was working fine and maybe it wasn't even her place is there's like a block of places to live there and i don't know whose i was stealing but uh thank you very much raptors republic owes you a, a great debt but anyway uh, thank you for tuning in. I hope this was enjoyable. Uh, maybe the lady who who was yelling at her uh, husband is listening to this right now. I hope you're a huge Raptors fan. <laughs> anyway, okay. Thanks for tuning in, whether you got into this in the morning or at night. Have a blessed day and goodbye. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York.